I really uh, love this time of year when we've got the flags up uh, because we're really setting our minds on, on what God is doing right now. He is calling the world to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And he's given us the, the, the mission of participating in that, in reaching out. And so every flag here represents a, a nation. Um, and, and, and of course, there's many more. Uh, these nations are, are those that we're uh, also involved with. Several of these flags are places that we've got direct contact with missionaries there, some of whom we've sent uh, from this church. And so you're going to find out more about them in, in, the, in the weeks ahead as different, different ministries are highlighted in different ways. But, but just to think about that, you know, this is not all about us. Isn't that beautiful? It's not. Our life isn't about us. Our church isn't here for us. We're not just here like, let's just gather in a building. By the way, praise God we can gather in a building though, right? Like, huh? And this is beautiful. Are you guys getting wet right now? Oh, you are? I'm saying, okay, so if people get up and move, please know it's not because I've offended them. It's because they need to move. So feel free to move. That's okay. You can do that. Um, but we're thankful that we have the building that we have, that we can meet here, even though there are times when we get a little wet. Um, we're also thankful that God's at work. And, and the other thing is, I, I love how they place the flags. You notice that the United States is there and California is there. Uh, that's us, right? So, you know, we're, we're called to reach our immediate community first. And then out from there, it resounds, you know, to, to our, our nation. So our, our, our area, East Bay. And did you realize that our area, the East Bay and, and the Bay Area in general, actually, is the least churched area per capita in the entire United States of America? We're it. Per capita, we are the least church area in all of, of the United States of America. So we are on the mission field. Congrats, you made it. You're here. All right? And what a joy that is, right? To be able to be a light and to share Christ with others. Uh, so we, we praise the Lord for that. And uh, we're thankful that we can serve him in that way. Uh, there's, there's a guy, his name is Wesley So. And he's a, a world-renowned chess champion. And he shared his thoughts on, on what it meant to follow Jesus as someone who's, who lives in that highly competitive world of chess. And he put it this way. He said, on the small planet where elite chess players dwell, very few people worship Jesus Christ. If anyone discovers that you're one of those superstitious, narrow-minded idiots, you're likely to see nasty comments accumulated on your Facebook page. They wonder how I, the world's second-ranked chess player, could be so weak-minded. And so Wesley, he grew up in the Philippines, and as a child, he was told that if he was good, God would bless him. But, but that confused him because it seemed like bad people actually received more than good people. He knew of a lot of famous crooks who were, who were prospering, and they would go to church, and they were pretty rich. And so, so he decided to play it safe. Wesley thought, you know, I'm going to go through the motions. I'll, I'll say what I'm supposed to say. I'll recite the prayers. I'll do all that stuff at church. But he never connected with God in a meaningful way. And he, and he played chess since, since he was six years old. And, and so as he grew up, he kept on winning. And, and he could never really afford to hire a, a coach or get serious chess training. And then he turned 18, and he was offered to play on, on a chess team in a small uh, university in America. And so he left home and he moved to America. And that's where he actually met the people that would become his foster family. And, uh, and they were Christians. Uh, his mom's name would be, his foster mother's name is Lotus. 
And she could sense his unhappiness, and she would ask, you know, what do you want to do in life? And he knew he loved to play chess, but he, he didn't think he was talented enough to make it a full-time career. And that's when Lotus told her to focus on chess alone for the next two years, and that the family would support him in every way possible. And so these, these foster parents, they were, they were believers. They loved the Lord. And as a part of being in their home, they were like, you know what? You're, you're going to attend church with us. You're going to come with us as part of, part of being in our family. And, and so they taught him that the Bible was the final authority in life, that it was a deeper and wiser than anything the internet would say, and it was more truthful than any of his friends. And so he put it like this. He said, before long, I was practicing my faith in a more intense way. My new family calls Christianity the thinking man's religion. They encouraged me to ask questions, search for answers, and really wrestle with what I discovered. They knew I wanted the kind of simple, contented, God-fearing life that they enjoyed. And then he goes on to say this, people in the chess world sometimes want to know whether I think God makes me win matches. And he said, yes, sometimes he makes me lose them too. He's the God of chess, and more importantly, he's the God of everything. Win or lose, I give him the glory. I will rise. Will I rise to become the world champion one day? Only God knows for sure. But in the meantime, I know he is a generous and loving father always showering me with more blessings than I could possibly deserve. And so as, as he says and describes that he's repented, he's turned, and he, he believes, and he's received salvation in Jesus. Um, and as, as Wesley describes his father that he's come to know now as a, as a, as a generous and loving father, um, that, that concept is exactly what Jesus is showing us in Luke chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Plain. Um, because over the past few weeks, Jesus has taught us that the, we, we need to see our Heavenly Father for who He is, that loving, generous Father that lavishes blessings, that, that is, is actually merciful, not only toward those who are His friends, but He's also merciful toward His enemies. And He's calling us to reflect God in that way, to emulate Him in that way. And so Jesus is telling us we need to see things the way our Heavenly Father sees them, and then we need to learn to act as we see things the way He sees them. We'll act the way He would act, and then, and then we actually end up loving the way that He loves. And so we'll find this again in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 45. And we started this section last week, and I just want to encourage you to go there again. Luke 6, verses 37 to 45. And out of respect for the word of God, would you please stand and follow along as I read? Jesus has just concluded this entire discussion on loving your enemies. He said that twice. And then he says, be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. And then in verse 37, he continues. Do not judge and you will not be judged. And do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. And they will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man. Can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but... Everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would cause us to be able to grasp by your spirit at work even now that you would open our eyes to see what your word would say. We thank you that, that your spirit wrote this, not simply that we would read it, but that we would be changed by it. And so we, we pray, Lord, that as he works in this time, that we'd be on the edge of our seats, that we'd be ready to hear your word and receive it, and that we would walk out of these doors today living differently. Lord, that especially you would keep us away from dishonoring your name and not living in our daily lives in a way that reflects your generous, open-hearted graciousness, even with those who are evil. And so we, you, we ask that you'd help us in this and that you would be glorified as you work in and through us in these days, that we would be a witness, not only here, but around the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So again, we would see that, that you know, God is the one who is merciful, as Jesus says. He, he, he is merciful even to his enemies. Uh, we're told in other places that he causes the sun to rise and set on the just and on the unjust. He, he lavishes grace on those who, who, who spit in his face, who deny him. And this is an act of his mercy. And so now we need to see the world the way he sees it. And then we need to actually act in the way that God acts if we're going to be his representatives. And so we, we, we talked about how God loves with a merciful, compassionate, upside down, otherworldly, deep, robust, unquenchable, unstoppable love. In other words, God's love is lavish. And so lavish love from God, Jesus tells us here, leads to a lavish life with other people. And so last week we began looking at this passage and we, we said because lavish love from God leads to a lavish life with others, we must, first of all, stop judging and start forgiving. And we took time to talk about that, how, you know, the fact is Americans love this verse, right? Do not judge. I, I heard of a, another example of this recently. There was a, I can't remember if I shared it last week or not, but there, there, you know, there was a, a guy who was uh, on tour with his college team at a hotel you know, played a sport. And he, of course, his Christian college was what he was going to. And so he, uh, he was there and, um, in their rooms. But the rest of the colleges and, and those kids were just like ruckus, man. They were just like, you know, drinking and partying and loud. And so uh, eventually, you know, it's like one in the morning. Guy wants to go to bed because let's face it, there's, an, a, there's a tournament the next day. And so he pops his head out the door and looks down the hallway. And of course, one of the partiers was there. And on his shirt, it was kind of like, you know, uh, something Christian University. And the guy with the beer is like, oh, yeah, man. Christian University, good. Hey, my favorite verse, do not judge. Right? <laughs> it's sort of like, and the guy's like, yeah. Could you go to bed? <laughs> really, please, you know, come on. 
But that, that, that is the, you know, every, people that don't know if there's a New Testament or Old Testament, they still know the verse, you know, do not judge. And they take it out of context and use it to say essentially, hey, don't, don't look at me. Don't look at me. I, I can do whatever I want. You know, it, it's, they kind of take it and kind of pack it into the modern kind of envelope of you do you and I'll do me. You do you, I'll do me. And, and we'll just leave it at that. Uh, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. Um, what, what he's really saying is do not engage in judgmentalism. And we talked about that quite a bit last week. And uh, you know, the idea of the hard attitude behind it, it's, it's, he's, he's saying don't be compassionless and hostile and hard and harsh and critical, especially to your enemies. Um, but at the same time, rather than doing that, the contrast given in verse 38 is pardon or forgive them. Rather than criticize, forgive them. And so uh, uh, Jesus, again, is, is giving us a way to live in light of this new kingdom citizenship that we have in Jesus. And, and if we're going to live it out, that's how, how we're gotta, we've got to bring that forward. He, we noted it was stop uh, judging and start forgiving because um, the command there, the imperative, implies that those who are receiving it are doing this right now. <laughs> so that's, that's what the command does. It's, hey, cut it out. But we also saw, not only do we need to stop judging and start forgiving, but we also need to stop condemning and start forgiving. And we found that in verses 37 and 38. And so Jesus says that, you know, don't condemn. You won't be condemned. But rather than that, the, the way that the parallel thoughts work here, verse 38, give, and it'll be given to you. And, and the point is that genuine followers of Jesus, as we saw last week, are accepting, forgiving, and giving. And they're like this because Jesus is this way. They're following Christ in this, in this manner of living. You know, Jesus is the judge. Think about it. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's the judge of the universe. And yet, he never exposed other people's sins without offering them mercy. He, he, he didn't delight in, in pointing out people's failings. Now, he did pronounce judgments, and he did pronounce, in a sense, there, there was a, times when he would render a judgment because people wouldn't repent. If they would not turn to him, if they refused to turn, but, but, but even in that, there was never any hint of judgmentalism. And, 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 and that's an important distinction to make. You know, judgmentalism is, 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 is something where I am now going to look down on you in my arrogance because I've got it together. And you don't. And really, your biggest problem isn't so much that you're failing God's standard. You know what you're really doing? You're failing my standard. And that's even worse. And so there's a, a way in which... Judgmentalism has nothing to do with what it really means to walk as a Christian. And yet, it's very easy to fall into. Especially for religious people. And so, lavish love from God leads us to lead a lavish life with others. And so, we, we, we unpacked that quite a bit last week. And so, we saw again, we need to stop judging and start forgiving. We need to stop condemning and start giving. And then we saw, thirdly... We need to stop critiquing and start discerning. And so Jesus brings this out with, the, with the, this picture of the log and the speck. And you've got to love it. Again, Jesus has a sense of humor. <laughs> we, we talked about that last week as well. This is an absurdly funny picture. I mean, you've got this speck in your eye. I've got to get this. In the meantime, there's a log. 
in your eye. And, and as we said last week, that log is, you know, look at the support beams in the building we're in right now. That's a log. So you got one of those sticking out, and you're like, okay, let me, let me help you with that speck. You can see the absurdity. And so, this, this absurdity Jesus brings forward is to show what, what this sort of judgmentalism looks like. I'm preoccupied with your sin. Do I have sin? Oh, I do. My, my sin's not that bad, though, but your sin, wow. Huh, I got to help you out. And we do that with our opponents, don't we? We do that with enemies. Well, did you, do you know what they did? They, they did? And you just fill in the blank, and it's horrifying. You're like, we've got to get them. And it's like, okay, and that's because what? You're, you're innocent? And does it mean we don't confront evil and wrong? Of course not. That's not what Jesus is saying. Again, we are to judge or discern. Matter of fact, in Greek, the word judge and discern, same root. We need to discern. But that's not the same thing as what Jesus is confronting here. And so... Really what Jesus is saying is we're hypocrites when we minimize our own sin, when we pretend like our own sin is smaller than it really is. So, you know, it's not, I, I didn't really gossip. It's just something I, I think you ought to know. Or, or, or yeah, yeah, I, I yelled. I did yell at him, but, but I didn't really hurt him. And, and whether we see it or not, you know, when, when our words unleash in that way or when we do those things, our anger, we're told by Jesus, is murderous. And so when we look at our hearts, we need to remember that, that um, you know, we can't minimize our own sin, especially if you're going to have anything to do with helping others with theirs. And you got to love how Jesus concludes that whole thing of, of discernment. He says, look, Deal with the log in your own eyes so that you can help your brother with the speck. He's not saying don't, don't help them. Again, which would pull us out of the, the way the world would typically quote the earlier verse. No, we lovingly deal with one another. Now, I, you know, we looked at a lot of that last week. I think, I think something that along these lines we can continue to look at would be this. How can I tell if I'm critiquing rather than discerning. Again, critiquing is distant. I just want to fix you. I don't care about you. Here's what's wrong with you. I'll give you a list. This, 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 and this. I'm going to hand this to you. Please get that fixed by next week. Thank you very much, and I leave. That's critiquing. Discerning is actually caring, looking in, finding out what's going on. And so, so some things we would find in this passage, and, and the way Jesus even illustrates it with the log and the speck, is again, if I'm critiquing rather than discerning, I'm going to be preoccupied with the sins of others rather than dealing with my own heart. I'm going to be more about their correction than I am about my repentance. And, and what happens is it shows often in our tone. When we enter into the situation, it shows because we end up dealing with, with other people with sort of this self-righteous attitude. And so some questions we need to ask, I think, before we ever go into a situation like that. What sins are you trying to help other people with? And then second question would be this. As you do so, are you aware of your own sin? Are you going in in that way? Or instead, are you going in with, man, you just got to get it together. 
You know, Paul talks about this quite a bit uh, in the book of Romans and in Romans chapter two. Um, go ahead and flip over there if you can, or click over there, or swipe over there, or whatever you're using for your Bible. Go to Romans 2, chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. Paul is, 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 has addressed, um, you know, the fact that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And then he's going on to deal with different people to show the need for the gospel. And he, in chapter one, he's dealing with people who are not religious and, and who have just kind of embraced paganism and, and, and sexual immorality of all sorts. And he's saying, you, they're without excuse. The, the creation itself declares that there's a God that they are accountable to. But then he turns to the religious and, and, and he... Uh, You'll notice how he, when he's describing the religious, because again, you can almost sense there, you know, in Rome, the, these believers are receiving this letter and they're hearing it for the first time. And as Paul is describing the, the non-religious, the irreligious, the people there in the room are going, that's right, those pagans, that's right, that's right, they're evil, that's right, they're sexually immoral, that's right, they're, that's right, man, the wrath of God, it's coming, and they're, and they're, and they're going to get it. And then Paul now turns to the religious and says, okay, let's talk about you. And in chapter 2, he says, in verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you. Wait a minute, us? Uh-huh. You. Who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And then you skip down to verse 19. You, he's addressing the same people. You're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature. Uh, by the way, the verse 39 that we're in in chapter 6 of Luke Talks about blind guides. We spent some time on that last week as well. Same picture here. So you're the guide to the blind. You're the corrector of the foolish. In other words, you're the religious person that knows your stuff. You're the teacher of the immature, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, you dishonor God. In a nutshell, Paul is saying there, you religious people who are judgmental toward others, you are a hypocrite because whatever religious moral standard you set up for yourself, you violate it. And again, we can, we can talk about our lives here today. I'd like to say, well, that's right. That was the first century church in Rome. Man, didn't they have problems? Well, brothers and sisters, we have problems. There, there are many of us in this room who committed murder this week. And no, we didn't do it physically, probably. <laughs> probably not. But verbally, yeah. What does Jesus say, right? If you call someone, raka, empty head, you've committed murder in your heart. And so, does that, does that mean that, okay, well, that's right. So I've done that. Therefore, I can't be a part of helping others or confronting others or calling out what's true and what's right and what's good. No, not at all. It doesn't affect whether you do that or not, because you're not doing that based on your righteousness at all anyway. 
but it certainly affects the way you do it. It affects how you do it. If I'm aware of my own sin and my own need for grace on a moment by moment, nanosecond by nanosecond basis, then when I'm dealing with another person in that, I'm coming in humility. And I'm not coming in humility because I have to act humble. Oh yeah, check that box. Hold on one second, let me act humble. You really need to stop. That's not it. No, it's humility because we actually see who we are and we see who God is and we see how we fail to meet God's standards and we need the grace of Jesus Christ every second of every day. And now as I come to another person, I can actually be of some real help instead of being demanding and saying, why aren't you living up to my standard? It's, you know, my standard isn't the issue. The Lord's standard is the issue. And I want to come to you and help. And I want to help you as a fellow struggler, as a, as a fellow. Uh, you know, I love Pilgrim's Progress. It's a great book. If you haven't read it, you should read it. But that's, what, that's the idea. We're, 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 all, we're all on this pathway together. And, and we're fellow travelers. In, and we want to stay on the king's highway. And we don't want to get sucked off in everything else. And if you're familiar with that story, you know well of the place called Vanity Fair. And for some of you, you're like, I thought that was a magazine. Yeah, I know. That, that's where they got the name. And Vanity Fair was this beautiful city in the story. And rather than staying on the King's Highway, Pilgrim got, Pilgrims got sucked to the side. And so Christian, the main character, he even got pulled into Vanity Fair for a time. By the way, it was beautiful. Beautiful buildings. Manicured lawns. Shops. Uh, stores, food, entertainment, pleasure. If they would have thought of it at the time, there would have been Star Wars land off to the side with the Millennium Falcon and everything. Like it all would have been there. And the problem was when, when, when pilgrims would go into Vanity Fair, what happened is they would stay for a while. And pretty soon... They forgot they were on a pilgrimage at all. They forgot all about the city of the king. They forgot where they were going. And they just got caught up in living there. It happens very easily. And so when our lives kind of cave in on ourselves and we forget why we're here, what we're doing, who we're representing, the path we're on, it's very easy, very easy to fall into this judgmentalism. And we're busy critiquing others rather than discerning ourselves before we even deal with them. And that's what that means. Rather than you know, stop critiquing, start discerning. Don't just discern what's happening there. Discern here. Discern our life, what we're doing, where we're at. I mean, let me ask you a question. How much time in your prayer time, well, first of all, how much time are you spending in prayer at all? But secondly... When you do that, how much time is spent on confessing your own sin versus uncharitably thinking about the sins of other people? What's the time ratio there? How 
How much of your, of your, of your uh, energy is spent on trying to right or correct other people rather than seeking before God yourself to grow and to walk in a way that, that, that honors him? And to, how often is our, our ambition to love God more and love others more? So lavish love from God leads to a lavish life with others. And so we, we need, we have to stop judging, start forgiving, stop condemning, start giving, stop critiquing, start discerning. And, and then lastly, we, we need to stop pretending and start becoming. And Jesus describes that for us in verses 43 through 45. And he talks about two trees. It's interesting. He's been talking, he's been doing pairs of things. I mentioned this last week, I think, uh, for a while. He's talked about, you know, two blind people. And then he talked about a teacher and a, and a pupil. And then he talked about two brothers. And now he's talking about two trees. There's one bad, and there's one good. And they each bring a different kind of fruit. And of course, this is a commonplace picture for them. They had trees, all, it was an agrarian culture. They had trees everywhere. And they knew well what would happen if a tree bore bad fruit. Usually you got rid of the tree. You didn't have this thing taking up space. They needed food. And, and so again, Jesus now is, is going to bring up another humorous absurdity when he says, you know, you, you, you wouldn't go to pick grapes from a briar bush, would you? And they're laughing. Of course not. Who would do that? That's absurd. Everyone knows that. You know, you, you, you would never gather figs from a thorn bush, would you? And of course, they're laughing at that. Like, of course not. Who, who would do that? No one would do that. And yet he goes, and, and then, he, then he, in a brilliant way, just brings them to, well, here's the real issue. The real issue is that when evil words come out, it's not simply a matter of, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. No, in fact, when we express words, when we even do other things uh, action-wise or, or, or the ways that, that we even see things, anyway, all, all of our life stems from one place, and that would be what? Our hearts. So it's from the inside out. That's how change happens. It's not from the outside in. And so when he talks about the heart there at the end of verse 45, He's saying, in the same way that fruit is, it comes from a tree, so too do words, actions, and lives come from our hearts. And the, and the heart really, we've talked about this before, the heart's the mission control center of our lives. It's, the, it's your dreams, it's your desires, it's your feelings, it's your thoughts, it's your plans. In other words, your heart, it's, your, it's the real you. It's who you actually are. And so when we look at that, we're going, oh man, so often we, we want to flip it around. Our, our whole culture is built on outside-in change. Have you noticed that? Man, you want to be a better you this year? Remember that New Year's resolution you had about four weeks ago? Maybe less? You know, go to the gym. Get, you know, get, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with going to the gym. And it's good to be physically, you know, to take care of what God's given you with your body. That's a great thing. But the impression we're given is if you change that, yeah, your life's going to be together. You know, I remember as a kid, I get this bubble gum. 
Maybe, okay, if you're not as old as me, you're like, okay, what was this? Maybe it's around, I don't know. But there was always like comics in the bubblegum. You'd open it up and like you read the comic, right? And, and, and it was always, you know, certain characters would come back. But there was always, the, I, for some reason, there was one that kept, I must have gotten a bad batch or I don't know, I went to the store, I always had the same one. But it was like that comic, you open it up and it's sort of like, there's the wimpy skinny guy at the beach and there's the buff guy at the beach. And there's the girl, you know. And the wimpy guy can't get the girl. And the buff guy, the girl likes, you know. And it kind of like back and forth, he bullies him over. And then, and then what does the guy do? He goes and he, I don't know, gets spinach. I don't know what he ate, he, you know, something. But all of a sudden now he's the guy, right? And you're just kind of like, and, that, and that's, so that mindset, that's from like, you know, late 60s, early 70s. It's still the same. It's just different. It's just a different commercial, different thing you're going to see. And it's one thing that, you know, the world does that. But here's the thing. Sometimes here within the community of God, we have the same concept. If you do these things, then you'll be okay. You know, there's entire groups of, of, of people who would, would counsel people and say, hey, if you obey God, then everything will be fine. Your life will go well. Exactly the way you planned. Matter of fact, God will owe you. If you do what God says, then you can turn to him and say, now, God, you've got to bless what I want to do. And he will. And that's not what the Bible teaches. No, instead, change comes from the inside out. And when we think about, well, what's the, what's the fruit? You know, what, what is the fruit that comes from a changed heart? You know, Galatians 5 says it beautifully, doesn't it? And maybe some of you might know that, that reference. Others might not. I'd encourage you to look it up um, this week. But it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. One fruit. That's, by the way, that's all one fruit. That, that is what comes from a changed heart. And, and that's what Jesus is describing. And so, uh, if we're going to live open, generous, grace-filled, grace-giving lives, then it's going to show up with, with that coming out of us, especially toward our enemies. Well, wait a minute. What do you mean by enemies? You know, the people you can't stand. Them. Who's them? I don't know who your them is. I think we go before the Lord with our them. It might be, again, a neighbor, a family member. Uh, it might be someone you work with, someone you go to school with. You know, we have, we have personal enemies. We have political enemies. We have professional enemies. But whoever they are, if we are not interacting with them, demonstrating fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean, by the way? It's the Holy Spirit at work within us. The, again, this is the creative product of the Holy Spirit. The one who, who, who's given us these words is the one who's now changing us from the inside out if you've come to Christ. And by the way, if you've not come to Jesus, this invitation is for you. You can actually know what it means to be alive for the first time. You can be reconciled to God. You can have your sins obliterated, taken away by what Jesus did on the cross. And you can know what it means to actually live this life knowing the one who made you personally as your heavenly father. By the way, that's why you were made. You'll actually be living for the first time along the lines of what you've been designed to be, 
a child of God. And so we'd encourage you to, to talk to us more if you want to find out more about that. But for those of you who have come to Christ, this is, is so important. And, and, and it seems like it's so easy for us to fall into judging, condemning, critiquing, and pretending, isn't it? And, and God has, has given us so much more. And we need to take to heart what Jesus is, is, is telling us here. Um, you know, I... I uh, I've told you before about our peach tree in the backyard, if you've been with us for a while. If you get tired of it, well, too bad, because I like peaches and I like our peach tree, okay? So there. But I, I had to do some trimming on that thing, okay? I had to cut it back. And so I can tell already, this next year, we're gonna have less peaches. And, uh, but you, could you imagine if, 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 you know, again, I'm talking to Janet, and Janet's like, well, I don't want ne- less peaches. We need peaches. And I'm like, I love peaches. You love peaches? She'll go, I love peaches. I'm like, well, what if I had a great idea? What if I do this? What if I go and I, I head out to, uh, to one of those kind of like, um, you know, or better yet, on Amazon. I'll order from Amazon plastic peaches that look real. <laughs> I know they've got them. They'll look real. And I'll just take them and I'll just, I'll, 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 I'll hot glue them to the tree. <laughs> That'll solve the problem, Right. Some of you are going, yes, like, no, it won't, it won't, it will not. No, it won't. Why? Because it's not real. It's not real. It's not actual fruit. And sadly, brothers and sisters, that's the way we live our Christian lives sometimes. We're living outside in instead of what Jesus says, which is it's inside out. It's, it's God changes our heart, and then the fruit comes forward from that. And, and how can you tell, especially, well, by what you say is what Jesus is saying here. How do you know where your heart's at? What are you saying? What are your words like? I mean, that, that'll happen too sometimes, right? We'll be like, someone will say something, and like, blah, and then they'll come back. You know, I'm really sorry that I said that that wasn't the real me. Guess what? You said that. That was the real you. In that moment, now we need to repent of that and turn away from that, but we should, we should own that. Like, that came out of my heart. Um, and I, I want to live differently, and I need God's grace and forgiveness. And by the way, should we be grateful for God's grace and forgiveness in light of this? I, it's amazing how the religious, judgmental, self-righteous person has two problems in some ways. They lower God's standard so they can meet it, right? So it's attainable. And, and, and at the same time, they also uh, neglect mercy because it's not needed because you can attain it. And what does God do? God comes along and goes, guess what? My standard is beyond anything you could imagine. It's perfection. My standard is higher than yours. But praise God also, my mercy is deeper than yours. And I've come to rescue you. And that's what Jesus has done. He's our hope. He's the one that has brought life. And so, so we can bear fruit, not in order to earn his forgiveness, not in order to earn salvation, not to earn his acceptance, but because we've already been accepted by him fully because of his finished work on the cross. And now we live differently in light of that. And so I can love others. I can, I can, even, I can even sacrifice my own desires so that someone else can advance. I can be in the midst of a sorrowful time, legitimately, genuinely sorrow, and yet there's joy also at the same time. 
I can give praise to God even as I grieve at times. There's, there's a way of having a, a peace that surpasses understanding. There's, there's a, a way in which I can entrust my fears to God and, and, and I also know that even through that, God is bigger than my fears. And it means that I'm gonna do things differently, especially in the way that I speak. I love, uh, there's a guy named Robertson McQuilkin who was the president of Columbia International University. It was formerly actually known as, as Columbia Bible College. But in his home, he had a fireplace and above his fireplace, he had a plaque. And the plaque read as follows. Absent friends are safe here. Hmm. Isn't that beautiful? Absent friends are safe here. In other words, when my friends aren't near me, they're not going to be defamed, slandered, criticized, or condemned in this house. You don't need to be around me to know what I'm going to say. And so, as we wrestle with these things, if we have a words problem, Jesus is telling us very clearly here, our problem is not with our mouth, our problems with our heart. In some ways, you could think of it this way. The tongue is kind of like the sound system of the heart. It just, it's going to broadcast what's in there. So, uh, I, I, as we conclude, um, I just was asking this question, how, how can I know if I'm engaging in self-righteous judgment or in biblical discernment? And I was thinking about that. And I'm going, how, you know, what's a, what's a picture of that for us? And, uh, and I thought of something. You know how like, when, you're, when you're critiquing someone or judging someone, it's like you're, you're doing this, right? You're doing that. And remember that old saying, when you got one finger pointed that way, you got three others pointing back at you? I was like, you know what? That's not a bad picture. That's a good picture. So, so you know, when we look at, you know, am I engaging in self-righteousness and judgment or, or biblical discernment? Um, I kind of like to use that picture. So here's, here's, the, here's the hand. So the three fingers, they'll represent three questions we could be asking in light of what we've talked about today. And, oh, sorry about that. Uh, in light of what we talked about today. And, and one would be this. Where's my heart? As I'm dealing with the situation, as I'm talking to this person, as I'm confronting her, whatever I'm doing, where is my heart actually at? And you might think, well, I don't know. I don't know. Well, Jesus gave us a way to tell where my heart's at. And that would be, what are my words? We can find out where our heart's at by knowing how we're speaking in the moment. What am I saying? How am I saying it? Another question we can ask in light of what, what Jesus has been describing throughout this entire section in this Sermon on the Plain is, where is my love? Again, even for my enemies. Whether they be personal, political, or professional, where's my love? And then another thing Jesus brings forward very clear, very clearly here, is who is my father? Again, back to verse 36. Be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. If we live like this, it's gonna stand out especially in the year ahead, especially around here in the East Bay area. We could be a light for the gospel in ways that we've never even experienced before if we'll follow what Jesus is calling us to here in the Sermon on the Plain. 
1959, there was a Swedish engineer who was lamenting at the destruction of, of, of forests. And so he actually invented a product that he thought would help to uh, save the planet. It was plastic bags. Yeah, they were stronger and cheaper than paper. They included convenient handles. And so creator Steph Gustav Tulin always carried one folded up in his back pocket to reuse as needed. And when he invented them, he just figured, you know what? Everyone else is going to reuse one as well. <laughs> yeah. So he was kind of wrong on that one. By 1979, single-use plastic accounted for 80% of the bags in Europe. By 1982, two major U.S. supermarket chains, Safeway and Kroger, had switched over. From, and from there, plastic bags just spread all over the world. And now... Worldwide, we use about 500 billion plastic bags a year. And ironically, Tulin's invention meant to save the environment has contributed to marine plastic population that is expected to outweigh all the fish in the ocean by 2050. But how terrible, you know, for him. He designed something for the purpose of purifying and, and making a wholesome contribution to protect the environment and instead, people take it, distort it, and use it wrongly to further pollution and degradation, littering the world. And I think for us, it's a good picture because Jesus is the one who designed how new life is to be lived in him. And he even gave us his commands in order to demonstrate and show love toward God and others. And sadly, we take those things, we respond to them in a distorted way, and we bring about a pollution that goes against his designed intent. When we do this, we actually litter the world with the garbage of judgmentalism, rather than living as a fragrance of mercy and truth, like our Heavenly Father. So brothers and sisters, let us today live out the lavish love that God has given us in Christ. Let's lavish that on others. Let's stop judging and start forgiving. Stop condemning, start giving. Stop critiquing, start discerning. And stop pretending and start becoming. Let's pray. Lord, we, we would ask that you would uh, help us to, to live in a different way in light of your call to us Lord, we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be a bunch of people running around after people's specks with logs jutting out of our own eyeballs. And Lord, we pray that we would never be content with plastic fruit. Instead, help us to follow you and to live out your lavish love by sharing that with others, even our enemies. We ask this in Jesus' name, our King. Amen.